Well, I'd like to uh, begin this morning with a big idea, and you can put this, uh, you can fill this out in your program or on our app, and here's the idea. Anyone can experience happiness, but only those connected to Christ can experience joy. So anyone can experience happiness, but only those connected to Christ can experience joy. Folks, everyone experiences happiness in life. We uh, get a new job and we're happy. We get a new house and we're happy. We get a new car and we're happy. We get a new television and we're happy. We get to go out to eat and we're happy. We start a new relationship with someone and we're happy. We have a new child and we're happy. But there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a feeling based upon our circumstances. Joy, though, is a supernatural gift given to us regardless of our circumstances. Now, as a way of review, I want us to look at our definition that we've been talking about this entire series on joy, and it's this. Joy is the assurance that God is in control of the details of my life and that ultimately everything is going to be okay, so I will praise Him in every situation. You see, joy is a supernatural gift that comes from God that is then given to us. And it is not based upon our circumstances. You choose joy because you choose Christ. A few weeks ago, we got word that one of my daughter's former teachers had a tragedy that very few people ever experience. She and her husband were out doing some errands. They had a babysitter at home. And the babysitter went in to check on their seven-month-old, and the baby wasn't breathing. And so they called the paramedics, and they got there, and they did their best to resuscitate her, but she died. And the amount of pain and sadness and grief that this couple experienced, I can't even imagine. And I was talking to a friend of mine who actually went to the funeral and there was this long line of people at Meeks to try to encourage this young couple who just lost their only daughter at seven months. And he said as he was standing in line, he said, I don't even know what to say. And so he got up there and he said, I'm I'm so sorry, I don't even know what to say. And then the mom said this. She said, it's okay. We know our daughter's in heaven. And we are grateful to God that we got seven months to be with her. Wow. Like when he told me this, I was like, 
That's joy. That's joy. That we have an assurance that God is in control of the details of our life and that ultimately, whether it's on this side of heaven or on the other side of heaven, everything is going to be okay, so I will praise God in the situation. And these two individuals, they had a church family and they were followers of Christ and all of these people were reaching out and loving on them and caring for them. And even though it was the darkest moment that they'll ever experience, my daughter Jordan actually came up to me this week and she said, will they always be sad? And I was like, yeah, honey, they're always going to be sad. But I said, they can still have joy. And all of these people did so many amazing things for them and encouraged them and loved on them and they'll continue to do that. And there was joy even in the midst of the darkest, darkest moment. Because remember, joy is the assurance that God is in control of the details of our lives and that ultimately everything's going to be all right. So I will praise God in every situation. Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, realized that you and I would need joy because happiness would not get us to the finish line. And so he writes an entire letter in Philippians about experiencing joy on the journey. And today we're in chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. Paul says, finally, means like the rest, like now I'm really going to talk about what I wanted to talk about. Like, you know, the first two chapters, that was just getting you ready. But now I really want to talk about what I want to talk about. He goes, finally, my brothers. Now, Paul is not sexist, okay? He's not saying none of the women, only my brothers, okay? This word brothers in the Greek actually means believers. So anyone, men, women, children that are believers of Christ, you are a part of this. And so he says, finally, my brothers and sisters in Christ rejoice in the Lord. Now rejoice is simply the verbal form of joy. And Paul is like encouraging and exhorting and he's like, just do it. You see, Nike, you thought Nike was the one that coined that phrase, right? No, no, no. It was Paul. Paul was like, just do joy. Regardless of the circumstances, be in joy because of your relationship with Christ. Just do it. But this is not just any kind of joy. What's it say? It says that you are to have joy or to rejoice in what? What's it say? In the Lord. Folks, this is where joy is found. It's in our Creator, the one who made you. There's a great Christian theologian, a guy by the name of Augustine, and this is what he says. Our hearts are restless until they find rest 
in the Lord. In other words, you and I, we go through this lifelong search and we're searching, we're searching, and we're trying to find purpose and we're trying to find something in our life that will direct us. And so we search and we search and we search to try to fill the emptiness that's in our lives because there's places where we feel empty. And there's this sense that Paul is like, but it's in the Lord. Like, rejoice in the Lord. Joy is found in Jesus. And God made it that way. There's actually a manufacturer's kind of specification on every single human being. And it says this, cannot find lasting joy without connectedness to Christ. You can't find lasting joy without being connected to the one who knows you best because he created you and he loves you most. So the question I have for you this morning is, do you believe that God made you to have joy in him? Do you believe that God actually created you so that you might have joy in him? Well, Paul continues on in the end of verse one and says this to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Paul's like, I don't mind saying rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. He says 14 different times throughout the uh, throughout the letter, have joy, rejoice in the Lord. How many of you have ever purchased a CD or some of you are older, an album? And you get this and you play it so much and then it falls down or something happens And there becomes this little scratch on it and you play it one day and then all of a sudden right in the middle of your favorite song, it's like, wah, 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 wah. And it just repeats it over and over and over again. And you know what? That's what Paul is saying right here. I don't care if I have to say it a thousand times. Rejoice in the Lord. 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 You should rejoice in the Lord. He said, I don't care if it has to skip. I'm telling you, rejoice in the Lord. So just do it. Have joy in the Lord. Now, the only problem in having joy with the Lord and joy in the Lord is the fact that there are some enemies to our joyful living. And in verse 2, Paul says this, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So what are the enemies to joyful living? Well, the first one is this. People who distort the good news of Jesus Christ. People who distort the good news of Jesus Christ. Most succinctly, what Paul is saying is, beware of the dogs. And Paul's not like this, you my dog, you my dog, you know. It's not what he's saying. He's like, beware of the dogs. This word actually is a very derogatory term toward false teachers. People who teach falsely about Christ. People who distort the good news of Christ. And we live in a culture, folks, in which people are constantly distorting the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And what happens sometimes is they come with a message of Christianity and they're like, anything goes. If you're in Christianity, what's so great about it is that anything goes. Well, you know what? Anything doesn't go. Anything doesn't go. The jar is committed to being a church where everyone belongs. Everyone is accepted. Everyone is loved as is. But we are not an anything goes community. We don't want people to stay in destructive behaviors or in unhealthy relationships. Why? Because when people do that, this is what they produce. Anybody want to come up and take a bite? Rotten, stinking fruit. That's what's produced. How do I know this? Well, that's what Paul says. Paul shared these words. He says this, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. In other words, you will produce this kind of nasty, rotten fruit. Evil things like this. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. Ugh, that hurts. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and then, I love the way Paul does things, and other kinds of sin. Like, just in case that wasn't enough, let me just tell you, and other kinds of sin. These types of behaviors produce this kind of fruit. But Paul says, if you choose joy... And you choose Jesus and you live in his way. He can bring into your lives something that is good fruit, that actually is good to eat. He says the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, what's the next word? Joy. He says joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we have those kind of relationships, we produce fruit that is good. And you can take it off. And you can open it up. And you can, like, take a bite. That's good. And when you don't, folks, I'm not even going to open it. Because it's bad. And folks, I would be the biggest hypocritical pastor in all of our community if I said, it's okay for you guys to produce this. It's okay. Anything goes. It's okay. Go ahead. You can, you can have this. And you know why I don't do that? Because I love you guys too much. You're family to me. 
I want the best for what you can have in your life and what God can provide for you. Folks, anything doesn't go. That's the truth. You know, it's this word, truth. We're a very tolerant society, so people don't want to talk about any absolute truth. So people will go like this. Well, just believe whatever you want. Truth is out there. Like it's up there. It's like a twinkle, twinkle star. Way up there, twinkling, twinkling. Oh, you want that truth? Oh, you don't like that truth? Well, come over here and get this truth. This truth over here, this is the good. Oh, little truthy. I love it. And people are like, oh, no, no, just believe whatever you want. Have any kind of truth, whatever you have. But the reality is, folks, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that truth is not found out there or over there. Truth is found in a person. Jesus himself said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And this is what happens. When Jesus comes into your life and you get to know him, he loves you, he builds you up, he cares for you. And then when you take God's word, that is truth. And when that intersection comes between your relationship with Christ and scripture, you experience joy, joy. And Jesus will set you free so that you can enjoy producing good fruit. Here's the second way of joyful living. People who promote God by doing good works. People who promote God by doing good works. Paul simply says, look out. Be aware of the evildoers. And what Paul is describing is people who think that on their own self-effort, they can find favor with God. And folks, there's something that almost all of us kind of buy into, regardless of whether we're a Christ follower or not. And it's this, that if I just do enough good things, I can get to God. If I do just enough good things, God will love me. He'll accept me. He'll provide a home in heaven for me. Now listen, folks. Doing good things is not bad. You should do good things. But you're not doing good things to get to God. In fact, Scripture says that's totally the opposite perspective. And Paul is like slamming into it and saying, being a good do-gooder does not get you into heaven. Just doing a whole bunch of good things, that's not it. Joy is not in earning God's favor. The joy is having a relationship with the one and you finally believe and say he is Lord because he is the one who left heaven to come to earth. A sinless person. He never sinned. And he took on all your sins and all mine on a cross where he died and he bled and he was tortured like an animal. And he died and was buried, but three days later he rose again so that you could be forgiven. I could be forgiven. We would not have to walk with guilt or shame or feeling like we're not quite good enough. A third enemy to joyful living is this. People who teach religion, not a relationship, as an external matter rather than a matter of the heart. People who teach religion as this external matter rather than a matter of the heart. Paul puts it this way. Look out. Be aware of those who mutilate the flesh. 
Now, Paul is not talking about people with piercings or tattoos. Okay? There would be some fundamentalists, though, that would say, if you got a piercing or tattoo, hit the door, Jack. Don't come back no more, no more, no more, no more. But when fundamentalist Christians take those scriptures, they twist them around in such a not good theological way. Because quite honestly, I don't think God gives a rip whether you have a tattoo or a piercing or whatever. He doesn't care. But what Paul is talking about here, when he talks about mutilating the flesh, he's talking about a concept in the Jewish faith that's called circumcision. Now, I need one adult male to please come up, and we're going to... uh... No one volunteered in the first one either. I don't don't know what that was about. Okay, I'm not going to give the uh, medical description of circumcision, okay? But this is what I want to talk about is that God made a covenant in the Old Testament in the first half of the Bible to a guy by the name of Abraham. And he said this, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And he says, as a part of this covenant, I'm asking all of the males to be circumcised. It will be a mark of the relationship we have as symbolizing That your hearts belong to me. Now the problem was, when Paul comes on the scene, Jewish Christians are still telling people who are non-Jewish to go ahead and get circumcised if you really, really want to be connected to Christ. And so here's these guys like 46 years old that are like, okay. I'm 46, that's what I was thinking, like, whoa. I love you, Jesus, but I don't know. And these Jewish Christians were like, no, 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 no. Not only do they have to accept Christ, but they have to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's in the old law. It's not necessary anymore. And let's be quite clear on this. There is nothing in my flesh, nothing that I would do to my flesh that would make me draw closer to Christ. And so Jewish Christians, though, were not happy with this, but Paul didn't care. And this is what he says. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not cutting off of the body, but a change of the heart produced by God's spirit. That it wasn't about this act, but it was what was God's Spirit doing in your life. Now, in the New Testament, that commitment, that symbol, became baptism. And on July 23rd, we are going to have our baptism class. And if you've never been baptized before, I just have to ask the question, why not? And, you know, the number one response I get from people is, well, I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not. And guess what? Neither am I. And neither is no, any human being. No one is. 
The reason we choose to get baptized is we're like, God, I need you so much that I want my sins washed away. And I want to start walking in a new direction with my life. It's a beginning point, not the end point. And so for some of you, you need to go on the app right now. Just kind of ignore the next two minutes, okay? And go on the app and, and say, I'm going to get baptized. Or go to the resource table and say, today, I'm going to do it. And on J- July 23rd, we'll do it. And then at Prairie Creek, on August 20th, we'll have the baptism. And it'll be a moment of joy, great joy, that you made that commitment. So in the Old Testament, it was circumcision. You have to do that. And in the New Testament, they said baptism. But what Paul was saying is, even though those things are important, what's most important is what happens in your life and with your heart after baptism. Folks, God is about relationships, not religion. And what God desires more than anything else is to have a relationship with you. Now, I shared with you kind of the three enemies of this joyful living. And the problem with many of us as human beings, we always just focus on the enemies and we don't focus on, well, how do I actually do this thing then? How do I live a joyful life? How do I have joyful living? What does it really look like? Well, Paul goes on to give three examples or three characteristics of what people look like who are joy-filled. In verse 3, he goes on to say, For we read... For, for we are the real circumcision. In other words, these next three characteristics, this what shows whether or not your heart is connected to God, not with something that you do with your flesh. For we are the real circumcision. And here it is. Three characteristics. Those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And then finally, and put no confidence in the flesh. So the first one, if you're a joyful follower of Christ, is this. You worship in the Spirit of God. And this word worship comes from an old English kind of word that actually means to kiss the ring. Anybody want to come up here and kiss my ring? Come on. Yeah, it'd be gross. You'd be like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well... You would really have to humble yourself, wouldn't you, if you were going to kiss the ring. But in Jesus' day, kings, when they were in their castles, people would come up and they would bow, they would bow and they, would, they were worshiping. They were kissing the ring of whoever that person was. But just think about the humility you would have to do to bend down and to kiss the ring of another person. That person would have to have your worship, your respect, your honor, your reverence, everything. And that's what worship is. It's about us becoming lower so that Christ is lifted up and he's higher than anything else. And it's to him that we worship and we honor in spirit and in truth. And we do it joyfully. I worship him joyfully with hands lifted high because of what Christ has done for me. Here's the second thing 
of joyful living. Glory in Christ Jesus. Glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this word glory, I know is a churchy word because I'm a PK. And whenever my dad would use the word glory, he would go like this. Glory. Glory. And I was like, I never heard people say that. Like no one walks down the street or in the mall and be like, glory. Now, what does this word glory mean? This word glory means to boast, to boast. To boast to whom? What's it say? You are to have glory in, what's it say? Christ Jesus. In other words, when you look at your life, when I look at my life, and I see all the blessings that I was thinking about this week, every blessing that I've ever received is a gift from God's hand. My family, my friends, my church family, the salary I receive, the house we live in, the car we drive, the investments we have. The food I eat, the clothes I wear, the stuff I have, all are gifts from God. And so I worship Him and then I give glory to Him. I boast in Him more than myself because none of this is mine. They're simply gifts given to me. And I boast in Him. And followers of Christ have no problem doing that. So, joyful followers of Christ worship in the Spirit. They glory in Christ Jesus. And then, kind of the last point that does, that focuses on everything else that we're going to talk about is this. He says, no confidence in the flesh. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. No confidence. No confidence in the flesh. Now, this word flesh actually means Our human nature apart from God. And our human nature apart from God, folks, we are selfish and we tend to be sinful. And a follower of Christ says, I put no confidence in my human flesh. Some people want to put confidence in their looks and their appearance. When you have a nose that looks like this, you learn very quickly that that's not going to be a good thing to put confidence in. Okay? But some people spend tons of time in front of a mirror. And if I just look this way, then someone would accept me or someone would love me. This, no confidence in the flesh. How about my education? Man, I got a lot of degrees. Man, I went to school and I got this degree. Nope, no confidence in the flesh. How about my experience, my successes, my skills? That I could put confidence. Nope, no confidence in the flesh. A follower of Christ who lives a joy-filled life realizes there is no confidence in the flesh. You know, folks, one day you and I, we will stand before God and he's basically going to determine a judgment on us and we will either go to heaven or we'll go to hell. That's kind of it. Now, as you think about this, of the decision that he has to make when you stand before him, let me tell you what you don't want to do. What you don't want to do is walk up to him and go, "Uh, God, here's my resume. And I think you would notice that there are a lot of good things that I've done. I mean, look, look at number four. I mean, that one was really good. And there's a few more hundred, like right under there. And there's all this good stuff. And this is what I've done, God. And so I think you need me in heaven. I mean, I think that you need some goodness just like me to get in there. And by the way, even if you don't think I'm that good on my resume, I mean, compared to some of the people I've sat with by, in church, I mean, I'm a lot better than them. You know, I mean, they're worse than I am. 
I'm telling you, folks, you don't want to do that. Now, we laugh at this. Why? Because it sounds absurd. But the reality is we live most of our life trying to think, oh, I better just be a little bit more good. If I just was a little bit more good, then I could get closer to God. And to prove this point, Paul was like, if there's anyone who's good enough to get to God, it should be me, Paul said. I don't mind taking my resume and showing you. And this is what he says in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, you want a little confidence flesh test? Bring it on. You want to see whose flesh is better, mine or yours? Bring it on. And then he goes, let me tell you about my background. He says, In verse 5, he says, look at this, circumcised on the eighth day. He's like, my family is a good Jewish family. We did all the things that they said we had to do. I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like Jesus. Then it goes on. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, some of you are like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, that's okay. Let me just explain it real quickly. Israel had 12 tribes. Benjamin was one of the favorite tribes. He's like, I'm not just a Jew. I'm a part of the favorite tribe of the Jews. And then he goes on to say, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Hebrews. He's like, lays it thick. Now he's like, I am the best of the best. I mean, I am a religious star. LeBron James has nothing on me when it comes to religion. I'm better than him. And all of a sudden, you get this sense that Paul is just like... I've got confidence in what I can do. Education? Let me tell you about my education. As to the law, what's Paul talking about here? The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He said, I have memorized them and I have followed every command. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. He's like, there are some of these people that knew the law so well that they worshiped the law even more so than they did God. They would actually put it on their body. I was one of them. I knew the law so well. And they actually says, concerning zeal, passion, I was the most passionate godfather or God follower that you could imagine. I mean, I just had great joy In following God. So much so that anyone who didn't follow God, I brought them to court and they were sentenced, many of them, to death. Dude, I memorized the five books. I obeyed them all. I was it. I had zeal and passion. And then finally he's like, my character? You want to hear about my character? Okay. He goes like this. As it is to righteousness under the law, what's the next word? He goes, I'm blameless. Can anyone here say they're blameless to the law? Oh, no, no. You're a bunch of losers. But me, Paul, I'm the winner. And Paul was filled with religion. And then one day he's filled with this religion and he's walking down a road when all of a sudden Jesus comes to him. 
And Jesus' presence is so powerful, he is blinded by it. And he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Scripture says that he fell to his knees and he realized in the midst of that, that Jesus, you are Lord, you are God, you are the one, you are the one to glory in. Now, how did someone who was so religious, how did that happen? You know how it happened? He humbled himself and he put no confidence in his flesh. Verse 7 says this, But whatever gain I had counted, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Some of you may not know this about me, but actually when I first started college, I was an accounting major. And I brought my little uh, calculator. And if you look at any of the words that are in this verse, look at them. They're all accounting terms. Gain and count and loss. You see the words in the text, they're these accounting terms. He's like, I did that. And I did that. And I did that. And I did this. And I did a thousand more things. And I did all the scripture and the Bible reading. I went to Sunday school and I did all this. And I loved people and I was nice and I was kind and everything. And then he's like, Woo! Look at this, God. Look what I have done. I mean, just look at this. I mean, Woo! 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 Look at all this stuff that I've done. Here you go, God. And then he finally realized that one day that's the way I thought. That all my good works was what it was about. It was more of that than anything else. And then he said, finally, the scales tipped one day when I felt Jesus Christ. And the weight of everything was on Christ and Christ alone. And it was no longer my good deeds. And then finally, his conclusion, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's like, he finally got to the point. He's like, all this good stuff, everything that I do is just rubbish. Instead of knowing Christ. So here's the question that I have for you this morning. Do you know Christ? I mean, do do you know Him personally? Is He Lord or are you still trying your best to be like... Well, I think I could do a whole bunch of good things and that's what it would be. And if I just did enough. Paul says, no, 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 no. Everything that you would try to do is rubbish. 
compared to 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ left heaven. He came downstairs as a sinless person to take on all of your sin and my sin so that we would not have to carry that anymore. And we could have a lifelong relationship with him. You see, the thing that is true about everyone in this place is we're all sinners. We've all flubbed up, messed up, screwed up in this thing called life. But Jesus wants to give you a gift of his joy, which is found in a relationship with him. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up right now, and I'm going to invite you to stand for closing prayer. And if you've kind of been in the mindset that, man, if I just went to church and I did this and I did this and I did this, that, that, God, that's enough, isn't it? If that's you today, stop doing that. You're running too hard. Just make the commitment today that I'm going to accept you as Lord. And if you've never made that decision before, I would strongly encourage you to do it today. Because this is the truth, folks. You are not promised tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And the only way to an eternal relationship with God is through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ himself in a relationship with him. So if you are ready today to say, I'm ready to believe, I'm ready to to surrender all that good that I think I'm good enough to do it, if I'm ready to surrender that kind of thinking and say, Jesus, I need you. I glory in you. I worship you. No confidence in me. I need you in my life to give me a purpose and to give me a home in heaven. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And when we pray here at the jar, we never pray alone. We pray together as a family. And so I'm going to say the prayer and you'll repeat it after me, but we're all saying it together. And so just repeat after me this, your prayer. And for some of you, it'll be the first time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of joy. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand for everyone who prayed that for the first time. And if you prayed that for the first time, back here to the corner, Scotty is back there. And we just would like to encourage you on next steps. And we have a Bible for you. And uh, you can pick that up today. If you'd like prayer for anything else, come on up. Otherwise, have a great week and know that you're loved in this place.